Hello and welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. I'm Trevor and today we are wrapping up our series on Matthew. Uh, I'm going through Matthew 18 and so um, I'm happy that you're here with us today uh, as we're going to go through through this passage. We're, we're talking about parables but it's also going to get into forgiveness and uh, the kind of three highlights that I'm pulling out of the, this passage are, are some of the intense language that's that's used by Jesus. So we are we're talking about the uh, <laughs> talking about drowning, talking about body mutilation and torture. So uh, it's kind of some intense topics, some intense language uh, from Jesus in this in this scripture, but. Uh, some really good uh, insights and some convicting points uh, that I've had uh, for myself going through this. So, so kicking it off um, in Matthew 18 again, we're we're in this series looking at the perspective, uh, the gospel according to Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Um, we're looking at this perspective of the outsider bringing the outsider in. What's interesting? This is the first part of this series where Jesus actually directs in his teaching to treat others like an outsider. Um, so that, uh, that was a highlight out of it to me. But the way this is starting out is we have uh, Peter uh, asking, okay, which, which one of us is going to be the greatest uh, in God's kingdom or the kingdom of heaven as it gets talked about in this this por- portion? And then uh, I, I don't know. I just always think of Jesus kind of just like maybe a little sigh coming out of him, shaking his head. It's like, man, you're just you're just not getting this. Um, and so that that's where then Jesus here in verse two, uh, he called a little child to him and put the child among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then as he gets a little bit later in that teaching, he's talking about um, the actions that we do or or things that we do that may lead the little children astray or or Jesus using that as metaphor of talking about uh, people who are weaker or earlier in their faith and watching our actions, the way we behave and making sure we're not acting in such a way that's going to lead them astray because... uh, uh, he's going around and saying, and any of you who becomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little children who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and drown in the depths of the sea. So there's our first first point of heated language from Jesus talking about drowning. But that... Just getting the intensity from Jesus in that passage. I don't know. Am I growing up in the church? Uh, the uh, a softer Jesus was all always taught, and I don't know if that's well. It's too simplified of Jesus. Yes, Jesus was accepting. He was gracious. He was comforting, but he was also intense. Like you don't say stuff like that unless you really mean it, especially as the son of God. He really meant that as a, a way to emphasize that point of that it's that bad. Leading pe- people astray from their faith is that bad. And 
I think we just need to sit there, sit there in that, evaluate our lives, have that point of self-reflection and our quiet time with the Lord and, and our own prayer life of God, show me the things I'm doing that's, that is leading others astray, particularly those who are new to the faith or tangential to the faith who are new, like seeing what this Christianity thing's all about. And, and that self-evaluation of making sure that we're walking in such a way, we're living such a life that it's not bringing people astray. And so uh, then right away we're getting into this body mutilation part <laughs> where uh, Jesus is talking about these hindrances of uh, like if you – have these things in your life. If your hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. If your foot is causing you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. There's the body mutilation part. Again, he's not he's not saying to do these things, like actually, but it's just, it's an emphasis. It's an emphasis of language of saying, this is how important it is to be walking in a way. And, and, as I was thinking through this, and, and I think this is what, what God has given me in, in teaching about this subject, is what are the distractions in your life that give you convenience or, or that enable you to do things but cause you to be distracted? So, and, and I guess another way of saying that, you should disadvantage yourself. You should make things inconvenient if that's going to keep your focus on the kingdom, if that's going to keep your focus on what God wants you to be on. And so a per, like the simple, straightforward example of that is our phones. Like these supercomputers we carry around in our pockets, we should, if this is becoming such a distraction for us, which it is for me, um, and if it's, but we're going to say, oh, I, I need my hand. I need my eye. I need, I need these two things to be able to do things. But is it distracting you from the kingdom to the point where you're even leading others astray to get hit that earlier part of the scripture? Um, maybe it's time to go back to the old flip phone. They still sell them. Um, and, and just use it for your texting and your calls. Or, or do you need like, like, I guess we think we all need phones now, but that, that may be really extra radical. But think about that. Think about the things that uh, you use as a convenience, but that distracts you. And that it's worthwhile to be disadvantaged if in that moment we're going to focus on, on what God wants us to do. And, and this kind of has a tangent to fasting. Like that's a period of time where we give up food so that every time your stomach grumbles, every time you're hungry, you then are directed attention. Okay. Why am I doing this? Oh yeah. It's for me to focus on my relationship with my creator. Maybe that's a point of switching to a different phone, switching out some sort of convenience you have in your life. So when you're in that point of inconvenience, then it's having you focus on your behavior, focus on your relationship with the Lord. So uh, those are the two two first points of drowning, body mutilation. So we're we're moving moving through this intensity. 
So then uh, we get into the parable of the lost sheep. And so where Jesus is talking about the great joy of, of leaving the herd to go, leaving the 99 to go save the one and all the joy that's in around that. And we see that theme throughout scripture. We see the theme of the shepherd. I mean, with David being a shepherd and uh, those points of caring for these wandering creatures. And if the 99 are good to go, then God's going to go off and save the one. And to not have this point of comparison because I think that's what why Jesus is emphasizing this point because this whole conversation starts with Peter going who's the greatest <laughs> how do we be the greatest and Jesus is like you're missing the point like it's the lowly ones that we're saving and redeeming that's where I get great joy from the people that are great that's awesome you're part of the 99 but it's not this hierarchy that you're trying to climb and trying to be on top um, that that's just not how it works So uh, of, after we get to the this part of the lost sheep, then we, we get into some good quality instruction from Jesus talking about correcting another believer, correcting one another. And that that has this undertone in this whole conversation of of Peter talking about where we have people higher, who's greater, who's lower. And, and usually what we think of the lower people are those that have offended us, those who've wronged us in some sort of way. And so we have this outline of instruction here starting in verse 15, talking about if another believer sins against you. And this is, I've seen this done very poorly in the church. Um, I rarely see it done well. But it is really straightforward. So it's kind of frustrating in the fact that we as Christians can't do this well, can't can't deal with conflict like this. So where it starts out, where if somebody sins against you, you're to go to that person and talk to them one-on-one. That's hard. That's really hard to do. Um, an example for me, so I, I serve on a city commission. So I serve in local government. Um, we had one of my fellow city commissioners that I've had a prior relationship with. I've known him for six years or so, but just was super rude in a public meeting, multiple public meetings, just rude to other commissioners, rude to our staff, um, just showed a real lack of kindness in anything and felt and obviously behaved in such a way because he felt justified for that. But, he proclaims to be a Christian. So, and I'm mad at this guy um, because of how he's affected morale and how he's offended me and how he's offended people I respect. And and so I, I've got a protocol right here, right here in the scripture. And I did not want to talk to him. <laughs> you don't really want to talk to these people when they, when they offend you like that. But um, fortunately... Uh, the beautiful thing about being a Christian is we have the Holy Spirit. And if we pause and recognize that we do have that, we can be like, Hey, I need some help here. You're the, you're the gentle spirit that reminds us of things. Help me be gentle, but with truth and grace, I'd talk to this person. So 90 minutes of phone calls later, a long conversation. I don't know if we got anywhere from it, but the highlighting point of this piece of scripture is, 
It's not that this person that offended you or sinned against you admits to their sin. It's not that they ask, they say that they're sorry. That's, that's not what Jesus says. All Jesus says is that they listen to you. And that's frustrating because when somebody offends you, you want them to fix it. You want them to admit full guilt. You want them to bend over backwards for you and say, oh, I never wish I would have done that. No, Jesus says, if they listen to you. So if this person's going to give you the light of day and they listen to you, that's where it really stops. The process stops. All you engage in the conversation, they listen to you. Um, hopefully there's some behavior change. Hopefully there's some trust that grows from there. You have multiple more conversations and build that relationship back. But listening's the key. That's the only key. But if they don't listen to you, if they're ignoring you, if they're um, not paying attention to anything you're saying, that's when you take it to the next step of bringing somebody else, of bringing another witness. And then that, if that doesn't work, then you're bringing it before the church. And then here towards the end, if they're still unrepentant, if they're still not listening, then you treat them, Jesus calls for us to treat them like an outsider or a tax collector, which, which there's that direction of Jesus talking, saying to treat somebody like an outsider, um, which is interesting. I kind of read that into the context thinking about Matthew writing this is Jesus saying, yeah, if this person's going to act like this and treat them like you guys used to treat Matthew <laughs> where you treated them like another, like this, this crook, this guy that ousted his own people to make a buck, um, treat them like Matthew. Uh, and I feel like when Jesus said, yeah, treat them like a tax collector, Matthew probably looked up and like, Oh, okay. <laughs> but, uh, maybe that was another point of conviction for them. Like, yeah, we don't treat those people very well. Um, and, and uh, the church has gotten this terribly wrong, too, of the excommunication of treating somebody so poorly, never allowing them back in. It's like, no, treating them like an outsider. It's like, yeah, you probably don't have a level of trust with that person. You don't have a relationship with that person, but you yearn for one. You yearn for redemption. You yearn to bring them back into the community of faith. Um, and there's always that opening to bring the outsider in. It's not release them and they have to now fend for themselves it's like no if they repent if they listen if they come back in that door is always open and that's what we hope for and then here towards the end uh we got the parable of the unforgiving debtor and this is so intense but it's so good so what jesus is talking about here um and this forgiveness part of always having this opening to forgive. Um, Peter comes up to him and says, how, uh, how often should I forgive somebody? One times, two times, even seven times? Um, like, wow, yeah, am I really going to do that? And Jesus is like, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. So an infinite amount. Again, using metaphors saying it's all of it. And, and Jesus going into the kingdom of heaven uh, in this parable of talking about the kingdom of heaven's like this. So we have a master and there, there's a servant that's indebted to this master. This person probably stole money, embezzled money, racked up such a huge sum that uh, some translations say like 500 lifetimes, 500 lifetimes of salary. So tens, 
the millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, I guess, in our, our perspective today. Could never pay it back. And he begs for forgiveness. He begs for his debt to be forgiven. And because the master is so gracious, so forgiving, he says, yes, I, I forgive you of your debts. You're clean. But then this this servant then goes and has somebody else that owes him some money. And this we're talking about like a year's salary. So like nothing in comparison, not a lot, not even one lifetime of salary, just a year. And he's mad and he beats this guy up and says, pay me back my money. And I can't. Will you forgive me? No. And throws him in jail. Well, word gets back around to the, the master and he hears about this servant who's been unforgiving to somebody else. And he goes, what are you doing? So I was so forgiving to you and you couldn't forgive somebody else. Uh, so yeah, here in verse 31, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset and they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. The king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And that is what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. I'll read that part again. Then the angry king sent a man, that man to prison to be tortured until his debt could be and be paid. That entire debt to be paid 500 lifetimes. So sent him to be infinitely tortured until he's dead. And that's what my father in heaven will do to you if you don't forgive your brother and sister from your heart. So not a shallow forgiveness. Uh, forgive him. It's like, no. Uh, it's this deep recognition of acknowledging our own 500 lifetimes of debt that we owe to God and realizing we can forgive it ourselves and he's gone in and forgiven it for us. And if we fail to recognize how much we've been forgiven by not forgiving others, then there's no forgiveness for us. Like that's stark, clear, intense language right there. And so that's that's just how important forgiveness is. It's this radical, the radicalness of Christianity is how forgiving we're ought to, we ought to be. And again, no, this doesn't mean you trust people that sin against you. That you don't have to. But forgiveness is this longing. This this always extending the opportunity um, for somebody else. It's this um, softness. That, that we ought to have. Because what I get from there, we have no right to not forgive if we want our debts forgiven. <laughs> because, it, again, it just comes back to, it's like if, if you can't forgive somebody, and, and there's horrible, horrible offenses that we commit against each other. But if you can't come to the point of forgiving somebody, your next step really should be thinking about yourself and what God's done to forgive you because you spend enough time on that you spend enough time evaluating the wickedness of your own actions your own thoughts your own desires and knowing that God forgives you of all of that should bring you to the point of forgiving another person and so uh, this brings me I guess to a kind of a closing story I recently um, had an uncle that died 
this this uncle was uh, he was a hot mess, um, alcoholic, uh, estranged from his 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 daughter, divorced, all the all the things that can be really frustrating to kind of have a kind of recluse in your in your family, all constantly lying, manipulating people, all, all of that that comes with addiction. Um, really hard to forgive those those kind of people. Um, and at his service, the the minister just did a phenomenal job of saying, my uncle, he did recognize what Jesus had done for him. He had committed to that. He had done that publicly. He may not have lived like it. And there's debates in the church of, I know you have the doctrine of once saved, always saved. Can you lose your, lose your salvation and back and forth? That, that's another day. That's another um, point of discussion. And those are really things to, to be fleshed out. But the point I want to bring from it is the God we follow is infinitely powerful. The God we follow and believe in sent his son to die for our sins. That covers everything. And that is enough to cover anything. God is that powerful. So God is powerful enough to cover all those sins and to redeem it and to forgive it. And there, there's such great power into that. So that then for us to turn around and not forgive is is just really unthinkable. And so in, in this this time, I want to just take a bit of silence for those of you who are listening. Um uh, maybe God's the Holy Spirit's turning something in your heart about somebody you need to forgive. I mean, we're constantly offending each other uh, because we're messed up, and that's that's just a part of doing life with other humans. Um, so, if there's somebody on your heart, if you are somebody that has offended somebody else, maybe that's on your mind. Just spend a moment of silence and see what names, what people, what situations get laid on your heart. And, and what um, you need a you need to be working on um, because of that strong language from Jesus is saying yeah, if you don't forgive there's no forgiveness for you um, and so yeah let, let's pause for a bit So, Heavenly Father, thank you again for this opportunity to be here, um, to speak, uh, to bring Trevor's little take on to what your son uh, has said to us and what's been passed down to us through the generations. God, uh, I pray that you clarify any confusing things I may have said, that you um point out maybe one specific thing from this message for for those of you who are listening to really take away and to lead to a level of transformation in your lives because that's what true christianity is it's this transformation it's this living differently this engaging relationship with our creator this side of heaven so we can bring the kingdom of god here on earth right now and prepare us for the kingdom to come And so let this radical forgiveness permeate our lives. Turn us into radical forgivers that 
just have this level of joy, of happiness, of truth and grace to us to where we just know how much we've been forgiven so there's no offense that we can't forgive. And let us take this into our lives. Let us become better for it and grow in your kingdom. In Jesus' name.